So just as a brief review, uh, last week we focused on verses 19 through 20. Uh, title of the sermon was The Blueprint of Gospel Partnership, and it centered around Paul and the church at Philippi and, well, their partnership in the gospel under the headship of Christ. In other words, they were mutually dedicated to the name of Christ uh, being honored um, on the earth, to the praise and glory of Christ. And the primary ingredient, I think I went through about five, the primary one was that both Paul and the church, what made this a model of excellence rather than uh, perhaps a run-of-the-mill church, Uh, what made it an excellent partnership, their knowledge of the true north. They had the same laser focus, and that laser focus was 1 verses 9 through 10. Um, I'll read 10. Uh, says this, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Um, Essentially a fruit of a life uh, that was righteous, uh, having knowledge and discernment, growing in their knowledge of God, uh, knowing what is good and right and pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And it says in 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness, Um, Christ likeness and holding one another accountable to such an aim um, and being laser focused on that was really what made this something to learn from uh, for us as we think about our growing maturity as a church. And I wanted to turn our attention the next couple weeks at least to one of those ingredients uh, that I mentioned last week in Gospel Partnership, and that was uh, the necessity, the high importance of uh, trustworthy men in the life of a church, um, and even in the life of, let's say, a missionary-type partnership, um, trustworthy men and their importance uh, in uh, caring forth the gospel uh, and caring for the church. And uh, particularly today, what I wanted to look at is, well, what are some qualities that would mark such a man, in particular, Timothy? Today, our focus will be on Timothy. Uh, So what is a trusted man um, in this sense? Uh, The ultimate goal of such a trusted man uh, would be verse 29. Um, Or what are we taking away at the end of the day Um, about Timothy and later on Epaphroditus? Honor such men. Uh, Why? The question is, why should we honor uh, such men? And I think all of us in this room, prayerfully, we're smart enough to know that doesn't mean worship uh, such men. That doesn't mean unquestionably agree with every last thing um, an honorable man before God says. But it does mean, in a practical sense, recognize um, God's work and be thankful for it. That's, that's really what Paul's getting at later on in verse uh, 29. A trusted man uh, is someone that a church uh, we can put in high esteem due to their service in Christ over a consistent period of time. Uh, Someone to put in high esteem uh, due to their service in Christ over a consistent period of time. That would be some sort of working definition of um, a worthy uh, man of the gospel. Uh, So I wanted to start looking with you at verse 21. Our focus today will be 21 through 22 and 23 and 24 a little bit. 
I wanted to point out uh, what, is, what is something uh, that is important to know starting out about someone like Timothy. Well, Paul starts in this section after he started in 19 and 20. He says, they all seek their own interests, meaning there's a contrast that Paul is setting up uh, when he's talking about sending Timothy uh, to serve them and care for them and get a report back to Paul. He starts with a contrast saying, they all seek their own interests. And we gather from this text that that's not how Timothy is. He's not someone looking to his own interests. And so who is the they in verse 21? Uh, I think there are probably a few options uh, given the book that we're in, Philippians. Uh, It could be um, in chapter 2, verse uh, 16, uh, 15 or 16. It could be the warped and crooked generation uh, that Paul talks about uh, when he contrasts living a life of Christ um, and how that shines a bright light uh, toward a warped and crooked generation. It could be... um, that reality could be, uh, looking back at chapter 1, those who preached a true gospel, true news of Christ, however, it was out of rivalry to Paul. So some impure motives that would inevitably uh, cause some schisms. It could be that. Uh, It could be, uh, looking at chapter 3, verse 2, it could be the dogs, the mutilators of of the flesh, a.k.a. the circumcision party, um, who added this uh, tradition, um, the Israelite tradition of uh, circumcising males and saying this is necessary in order to be justified before God. So this is not uh, the type who were just preaching out of envy, but rather they had a false gospel altogether. Uh, and there's a reason Paul calls them dogs, and but he calls those who preached a true gospel out of rivalry, he essentially says, oh darn it, but hey, at least the gospel is going forth. There's a big difference in category, right? Uh, A false gospel, a false message about Jesus is always, um, and in the Old Testament, just a false view of God, is always the harshest message in terms of those who receive uh, the message from God and the prophets. They will always be hit the hardest uh, because they're essentially lying about who God is and sending people Uh, If they believe what they say and live by that, they're sending people to hell. Um, Look out for the dogs. Look out for those who are not your friends, but your enemies. So it could be those, or it could be uh, just in general, the state of of the world. Um, Could just be a general diagnosis of they all look to their own interests. That's that's generally true. Uh, We live in a world where people do not look to Christ but rather uh, have some sort of false god, perhaps even just themselves, their own interests, uh, guiding them in their day-to-day life. Uh, and notice that is the standard of not looking to one's own interests, is looking to Christ. Um, so it's a, it's a huge contrast, right? Uh, I tend to believe that he's just giving a general diagnosis of the state of the world, but any way that you slice it, It's the second half of verse 21, which is so important and is the first um, quality of a trusted man that I wanted to focus in on. So what makes someone 
uh, we would put in high esteem, thank the Lord for, um, as a man of God, one, looking to the interest of Jesus Christ. And this is all about lordship. So if you wanted to uh, even summarize it more, it is lordship. Quality one would be lordship. And lordship um, would be, it's something that is founded on a real fear of God. Lordship recognizes Christ as king, recognizes God as creator, and recognizes the fact that God sets the terms in every area of life. That's lordship. And I want you uh, to know, I think it's important to know, that looking out to the interests of Christ is one and the same with looking out for the interests of others. And what I mean by that is looking to honor Christ and live life according to His terms and for His glory is and will lead to looking out for what is best for other people. God does not write in a way that's unclear through his um, apostles. Uh, Paul was not trying to be some agent of confusion. And so it's no contradiction uh, that Paul in chapter 2 famously wrote, do not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Right? He even writes one verse previous to what we're looking at uh, in verse 19 Timothy was, quote-unquote, genuinely concerned for who? Their welfare, the Philippian church. And so who does Timothy care about? Does he care about Christ, or does he care about the Philippians? Yes, because the one will lead to the other. And if the one isn't happening, the other most definitely is not happening. Lordship, uh, it is all about knowing Well, what does Christ say about something? What does God, through his word, say about a matter? What does God say is loving one's neighbor? What does God say is true worship? What does God say about how I lead my family? What does God say about how I should work? Because what I say doesn't matter. What you say definitely doesn't matter. There's only one voice that matters, and that that voice is God's. Lordship is founded in a fear of God, a genuine submission to Christ as king of one's life. Christ is king. Jesus is king. And I know Kanye said it, but the Bible said it first. Jesus is king. And I would submit to you that if you think of any person who has ever made a difference Um, in the kingdom of God, obviously predicated on the power of the Spirit working, not their own flesh, I would submit that the secret of that is lordship. The secret to a life uh, that is uh, perhaps excelling um, in the work of the kingdom, uh, perhaps doing a great work to build up God's church would be Lordship. And like I mentioned, I think last week, what I'm not saying is some sort of secret, super secret plane above and beyond what the average person can understand. I'm I'm, I'm not saying that at all. Um, Lordship is defined by what we can actually gather from Scripture, not some secret knowledge or Gnosticism. But it's the secret of excelling in godliness. And I would submit also on the same line of focus that lordship or a lack thereof is the primary problem in evangelicalism. Uh, 
That is the problem. If you think of anything that goes wrong in the church, the foundation of why that is happening is God is not Lord of a thing or a viewpoint or a lifestyle. Lack of lordship. It's, in other words, low view of God, therefore low view of Scripture, even if it's um, not necessarily written, but it is in the way that we actually live our lives. Um, anyone can sign a statement of faith, put a check mark, um, but if one's life doesn't show itself uh, to view Christ as Lord, well, I would say that would be a lack of lordship. That would be a low fear of God. Um, a low fear of God, that is, God says, therefore, we must, is why porn often makes its way into the lives of so many in the church. Ultimately, whether someone truly says it or not, um, well, God really isn't the owner of my body and what I should do with it and what I should look at. I am. It's a lack of view that he is the one to honor with that. Lack of lordship, that's why porn uh, reigns so much. That's why adultery happens uh, in marriages uh, because, well, we don't realize that God is the one who has told us um, to love our wives or love our husbands, not to look elsewhere. Uh, this is why lack of lordship or a lack of a view that God sets the terms, that God makes the dictionary, he is the dictionary. This is why churches ordain female elders and pastors. A lack of lordship, a lack of a view that God has clearly spoken. Clearly, the New Testament speaks of elders being men, um, as well as many other things. But also, even if you were to go to some weird book burning ceremony, and burn all the texts that say, I shall not allow a woman to speak, well, at best, you've got an argument from thin air. There are no um, female elders or pastors in the New Testament. Lack of lordship leads to that kind of a thing. Lack of a lordship or lack of a view that God is in control and sovereign uh, and that Jesus is good and that we can trust him leads churches to deny inerrancy that the Bible is without error and true. Uh, lack of lordship leads to a lack of punch from the pulpit. That is, God has called us sometimes to say very necessary and hard things uh, to the church and even to the culture. And, well, if I don't really believe him at his word, I will just steer a little bit to the side of those matters. Um, that's a lack of lordship. Um, because a lack of lordship would lead to a lack of courage. And a lack of lordship, one uh, sort of modern example, I would say, is a lack of a view of God's clear word setting the terms of what is true and right and good led to churches closing for a year. I don't think I have a say in that. I think God said that we should gather. And God says the church is the primary institution of believers worshiping. And I think, you know, I think it should be in person, right? But it's all about Christ being Lord and trusting him that that is good. There is a reason that very faithful or great men of God in the past 
There's a reason sometimes they were in trouble. And I believe that was lordship leading to courage. Uh, to courage to live in a way that was Christ-like even when it was inconvenience. And when it is inconvenience, and when the, the fire is hottest, so to speak, is when those things are most necessary. Uh, and the only way, the only way that a church will stay true to the Word of God, the only way that we will love our neighbor, the only way that we will spread the gospel, speak the gospel, proclaim the gospel, the news of Christ and His salvation for sinners who are under God's judgment is if lordship stays as supreme. If you think about our church, for example, from an ideological standpoint, that is what we believe about God, what we believe about how to live in this world, all those sorts of things, we have zero curb appeal to the culture. Like, I'm not saying physical curb appeal. I was talking to Joey recently. I love our church. I think it looks great. But there's nothing about what we believe about God and about men or women or whatever that is going to give us points, right? And so what is going to keep us faithful to what the Scripture says, which is ultimately our goal? Well, lordship, right? Because it's definitely not going to be, well, I want to please people. It's definitely not going to be, well, I want to get some cultural capital, to quote Jonathan Lehman of Nine Marks. It is only going to be that, that primary ingredient. That's number one. He looks not to their interests, but to those of Jesus Christ. And that was what governed Paul, and in this case, Timothy. Why did Paul see Timothy as someone excellent um, and worth sending rather than anyone else? Uh, because he cared so much for the church that ultimately his starting point was God. Love God and love neighbor. Love God first. That's, uh, that's number one, and that, if that's not there, then everything else, everything else goes. Um, I also wanted to point out that given, Paul really speaks that it's a given, like, oh yeah, they all seek their own interests. He, he speaks that like, almost everyone is just out for themselves, right? And so we know from a biblical standpoint that's definitely true. Sin reigns in the hearts of men apart from the work of Christ. And I think Proverbs 20, verse 6 gives a good insight here, um, written, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man, who can find? Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man, who can actually find? Uh, and I think Timothy, at some level, is that faithful man, uh, in the power of Christ, that is, because Christ was faithful. There are many who say, I love God, um, I'm all about him, I'll do anything for him, but when you're in a foxhole, it's like, oh, where'd, where'd so-and-so go? Uh, Timothy wasn't the guy who would abandon you in a foxhole, but he was the guy you wanted with you. A faithful man who can find. So it is, it's great when you can find one, right? Uh, that's number one. Uh, so lordship and looking to the interests of Christ is the quality that mark a trusted man in the life of a church.
So you've got that. Well, what is another reality of someone to put in some high esteem? I would say this, number two, they fall into key God-designed relationships. Their life is marked by key God-designed relationships. And what I mean is verse 21, or sorry, verse 22. Paul says, middle of the verse, as a son with a father. So Timothy had a mentor, had someone discipling him. That was Paul. Uh, we know from 2 Timothy 2.2, which I'll read, uh, and Timothy followed, Paul writes this to him, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And I would say one great model of that in our church, the, the verse that has always come to mind uh, is this verse, and that's regarding our pastoral training program or class that Ben has put on in different classes now for three, four years. Uh, what's a testimony to God's faithfulness? And Timothy knew that he wasn't a rogue agent, but rather he needed uh, someone more mature in the faith uh, to guide him toward greater godliness, to rebuke him when necessary, to encourage him. You look at 2 Timothy, there's so much encouragement there. Um, verse 6 in 2 Timothy chapter 1, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. Why was he reminding him of that or telling him fan into flame? Well, it's probably because Timothy's natural bent was to not do such a thing because he was timid and probably introverted, all those things. But he needed someone to spur him on. Son with a father. Uh, this is something that should mark um, the life of someone that you look up to in Christ. Um, do they have key relationships, peers, uh, maybe people that they are uh, talking to and uh, helping along in the faith, and also uh, those more mature and more fully along in the faith? Are they being taught? Are they teachable? Timothy was definitely such. And so uh, that's one and two. I did want to just point out that, yes, I'm talking about faithful men today. And does that mean that there are no women, that there are no females to take note from and learn from? Well, of course not. Um, some names that came to mind when I thought of this was Esther, Mary, Rahab, Sarah. Some of those names are even in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith. And Hebrews, I think, because I'm just using my brain, had some males uh, as the recipients. And though that, so they are called to just take note, learn from this cloud of witnesses um, and the great faith uh, that these men and women had. And so there are tons throughout biblical history and church history of women um, who have lives of faith to learn from. However, that does not mean that God has not given some sort of authority and hierarchical structure in his kingdom, um, meaning that God has designed men and women differently, and that shows up in the very foundational institutions that God has set in place for our blessing, namely the church, 
the family, and I would submit even the civil government, kind of the three primary governments, should be male-led. And I say that, I believe that that's what the Scripture teaches consistently. I think it's very clear. And does that mean that I am personally like a patriarchal Christian? Guilty. Absolutely. And it's for the blessing of God's people, not for their curse. It's very clear that men are to be the heads of households um, as they care and not overly domineer, but as they care for their wives and children. It's very clear that men, uh, particularly elders, uh, should be pastors, leaders of a church. Uh, That's for God's good, for the good of the church. And I think, given that the government's primary responsibility, biblically, is the sword, that is, enforcing justice on the evildoer, I would think that naturally, most of the time, men should be in that realm. Does it mean that there never can be a female? Of course not. But I believe that if we have a true biblical view of government, that that would lead us to such a conclusion um, these realities are pretty clear. Pretty clear. Crystal called. She's jealous. Number three. So a man of God, uh, he is someone who recognizes the lordship of Christ. He's someone who, in that lordship, submits to having important relationships. So he's not a rogue agent, because there are no rogue agents in God's kingdom. Amen. Number three, uh, this would be someone who has a proven track record of labor in the gospel. A proven track record. So not just someone who is a new convert, right? Or someone who you really don't know. And maybe they are very faithful, but you just don't know them yet, right? This is someone that has spent time, uh, in this case, like with a congregation, Right? And you can see the fruit of their life. There's been time. There's been fruit. There's been an observation at some level of lifestyle. Isn't it true that trials and fire reveal? Well, it reveals the essence of an object, for example. When something's on fire, you know what it's made of. Uh, but it's also true in a figurative sense in terms of fiery trials of someone's character. In other words, you put me or anyone, you put us in a hard situation, in a situation of testing, and you really know what are they all about. Because eventually true character uh, will come to the surface, right? Um, So that is why uh, Paul writes in 22, you know Timothy's proven worth uh, served with me in the gospel. Proven worth, something that they could observe uh, and experience, that this was someone truly uh, who served Christ and not man, primarily, right? Uh, A couple things I want to point out about this is, one, uh, looking to someone as um, someone to esteem generally in the faith. What we're not trying to do is nitpick pharisaically. Essentially, does someone's general pattern of life and teaching, does it match up with what the scriptures clearly teach about faithfulness 
to God. What that doesn't mean is sinless perfection. This person did something that I don't quite agree with, or I didn't like their tone here or there or whatever. It's like, well, if that's the case, then I don't think there would ever be anyone uh, that we could truly say, I've benefited from their ministry or I've benefited from their uh, Christ-likeness in my life, right? Uh, Just because no one's perfect. Paul said, or James says, we all stumble in many ways. And that's true um, even of some of the most mature Christians um, today and throughout history, right? So it doesn't mean pharisaical nitpicking of a person. Um, It also, on the other hand, would mean that if someone has a proven track record, that is, oh, there's someone that, man, they've been around a while, we can really learn from them. A good track record, also, you have to assume that the track coach is trustworthy. What I mean is, consider the source um, when you hear that so-and-so is the greatest thing since sliced bread or whatever. Uh, It could be if someone is in just a long line of compromise, well, it's like, well, that's, they have a great track record because the track coach doesn't even know how to work a stopwatch. Does it make some sense? Um, Just realize uh, that it matters uh, what the ultimate foundation is on. And that goes back again to lordship. So a man of God, uh, someone that we can honor, uh, not as divine or not as in any sort of idolatrous sense, but someone who we just take from and thank the Lord for, they uh, do not look to their own interests, but the lordship of Christ guides them. Uh, They submit to important relationships uh, that are God designs. They have some sort of uh, proven lifestyle over a consistent period of time. Uh, of godliness. They're not just some newbie, uh, new convert. And number four, I would say, what marks their life? What's a quality? A love for the brethren, a love for God's people, his church. And this is more in line with Paul here in at least verse 23, but it extends to Timothy. If you look back to 20, for example, uh, genuinely concerned for your welfare. Uh, Paul says this about himself. I hope, verse 23, therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And so this isn't as much about Timothy, but it extends to Timothy uh, as Paul's disciple, you could say. Paul, being in prison, historically about four or five years away from his death, he had seen it all in a sense Still, he wants to go see these people. That's incredible. Really, that what a good testimony of humility. That like, you know what? Like, no, at the end of the day, you are my people. You're my people. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out about Paul, for example, he wrote so many letters in the New Testament, probably nearly like two-thirds of the New Testament, yet him being potentially the greatest evangelist um, in history, by the work of Christ, that is, he still had a limited network as the most unlimited person probably in Christian history. Does that make sense? Like even Paul had actual churches that he was writing to with people that he actually knew, the people he would actually visit, 
And so one takeaway uh, that we can take to the bank is anyone in our congregation is at the end of the day, we will always, by God's design, be limited to a certain location and be responsible first to our people. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, Paul writes, I can't remember right now uh, what book he was in and when he was writing, what, uh, what church he's writing to, but essentially he says, I don't want to take over another man's work in an area. If the gospel's already going forth, let that be. I'm about taking it to this place. And that was then the place that he focused on. Um, love for the brethren will mean at some level, we just have to realize even in this global age that we live in with the internet, it is a good thing to limit ourselves locally. We've been made to be local people, I believe, to care first and foremost about, well, first our church, but also even just our local area uh, and seeing that uh, as our first and foremost responsibility. And I do want to point out last that love for the brethren, love for the church uh, will look differently for different people because we've all been made by God uniquely in his image and have been given different gifts. If someone is in Christ, um, we are not all of the exact same spiritual gifting. And so for some, uh, love for the brethren might seem to be constantly spending time. Some, it might be a bit more limited, um, but it's in other ways, maybe they're prayer warriors, whatever. Um, I think there's just another little caution here to know the general pattern, but not, like I said earlier, become a pharisaical nitpicker that someone must live exactly in the way with relationships that I think they need to in order to be someone um, to learn from as a Christian. There's a general principle here, right, that we can, um, that we can learn from. And so kind of coming to a head, coming to an end this morning, Really, I thought uh, two things I wanted to leave you with. Uh, one was just in general pointing out, though I wasn't in this text specifically, verse 29 does come with a command. That's something interesting. Um, so receive him, speaking of Epaphroditus in this case. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. And then verse 30 gives the reason in this case. Uh, Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ. What dedication. Uh, but honor such men. So one, just recognize that it is not an evil or bad thing uh, to thank the Lord for someone in your life uh, that has helped you in godliness, but rather it is a blessed thing. Um, and also, though I've spoken primarily of like elders today, I believe the principle extends to just the people of God. Uh, in general, and just thanking the Lord uh, for people who have helped you along in the faith. Um, and it's a blessed thing to take a step back and think about, wow, those two years or whatever that so-and-so were here, those were crucial for me. And if they hadn't been here, who knows, right? Uh, this is important stuff. So that's number one, just recognizing that it is a command. And number two, more for our church specifically, is uh, taking just some time on your own to think about these qualities that I've looked at today and even last week 
And how can we just learn uh, from someone as devout and faithful as a Timothy? Because if there's one thing we hold to as Protestants, that is, it is the priesthood of all believers. There is not some super magical difference between clergy and um, church members, but rather God has given his words, his word to all believers. Um, And so we can model our lives uh, after such people.